Welcome back to Raising the Stakes. We're going to kick it off with Nebraska's own Dan Dorn. He is our whiskey, I mean our business development specialist for Beef and Focus at ABS. He has over 20 years of experience in the feedlot industry. We're going to learn how he's applied that to the Beef and Focus brand. In segment two, we'll talk to Clay Fredericks of United Producers. We're going to talk about future market outlooks, whether it's in the auction industry, whether it's for corn prices, or whether it's where the beef industry is going. We're also going to get his outside perspective looking in on the beef in focus calf right now. So stick around. This is Raising the Stakes, the ABS Beef in Focus podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm here to find all the cutting-edge science and innovation the team at ABS is pioneering for those of us that rise and shine every day in the cattle industry. We have to find ways to feed the world and our families, and that's why the ABS Beef in Focus and New Era teams will share with us how they work each day to cultivate solutions to help us be more profitable more sustainable, and more resilient in our efforts to satisfy our goals as well as the consumers. So stick around and we'll get into segment one of this episode right now. You've mentioned to me that these are genetics by design. How did your feedlot experience help you to build the quality of the beef and focus calf by design? Uh, That's a a great question. It's a hard one to define because, you know, in the beef on beef space is where, where, you know, I came from originally and with a tremendous amount of feedlot experience and and just cattle in general. But uh, when you start, nobody ever knew back 20 years ago, you say like 20 or 30 years of experience, and we didn't know. I mean, you just bought them cheap, you sold them high, and you hope the market is like, you know, we'd had probably more fun if we went to Las Vegas, you know. It's just, that's all you were doing. You're you're shooting, throwing darts at the wall until, so we started, you know, later in my career, started following genetics, and we were identifying the top 20% of the animals and the bottom 20%. Um, which is just eye-opening to see the differences in in genetics and and, uh, just follow that, what genetics can actually do. And then when you throw the feed efficiency component on top of it, uh, it's just mind-blowing what what we can do with genetics and and change. But it's getting people to understand and maybe not do what their grandfather did 20 years ago, you know, because he bought that Hereford bull, he bought that Angus bull. I mean, there's just better ways, and I think in all breeds, there's they all bring something to the party. But you can get selection and do good selection pressure, and, and you'll you'll get a lot further down the road. So my uh, early career, I traveled a lot in Florida on beef herds. A lot of them would be Brahmin influenced cattle, and and over the years, it was just so much fun for me to see the change genetically and make them cattle actually worth something. And, and uh, they could actually, I can show you Brahmin cattle will actually compete in the feed yard with any Angus. And that's what's been fun to see that, but it was all due to genetics. I mean, it's nothing else. And so that's what's been really fun in my career to watch that. Wow, 
Wow, that's pretty shocking and exciting. I would love to see that. So when we talk in the kettle industry, we talk about each segment. And to the consumer out there listening, what do we mean when we're talking about the segments that these cattle are going through? On the beef side, it's not so bad. I mean, you got a cow-calf, and then you go to maybe a background or then a feed yard and finish. But on the beef on dairy space that we're dealing with, um, you have the dairyman. Then you have to do something with that calf. Uh, so a calf ranch, typically, uh, in that calf ranch segment, you have some some uh, that only grow that calf to 250 pounds. You have others that will grow 350 to 400 pounds. From there, they go to possibly a background or sometimes a feed yard. Uh, the, your, your main big commercial feed yards, they don't want to see a 400-pounder. They they're not set up for it. They have pins and bunks and rails that, that, that just doesn't fit. So in an ideal world, they like to see them cattle grown to six to 700 pounds. So there's another segment, if you will. Then the fin- finisher side, the, uh, the feedlots, uh, then the packer, and then obviously we go on to retail, wholesale distribution. In this space, we also then hear about retained ownership. How does that differ from, from all of it? What's the profit like on that? And, and why is it talked about so much also? So if a dairyman or a cow-calf producer on the beef side of things, if they really want to capture all of the money and all the added value that they can get, um, they need to retain ownership all the way through, obviously, but they can then back up through all the different segments because each segment has is a uh, for-profit or margin business. You know, Calf Ranch not going to do this for nothing, so they're going to make a margin. A backgrounder is going to make a margin. A feedlot makes a margin. The ideal in a, you know, maybe it's a unicorn world, but it's actually true for some dairymen. They can actually have the wherewithal to grow them on the dairy. Uh, the introduction of Sexima now where they don't have all these calves to deal with. The further they can retain ownership down the chain, the more value they're going to add. So, you know, with the focus cattle and the calf ranch, we see calves getting 400 pounds. Uh, you know, in less than 150 days, you know, closer to 140 days. Uh, in the background is we're seeing gains up to four pounds a day. Once you get through that first step, that money will come back to you. Some think retained ownership is, is scary, especially when you get into the finishing side. These feed yards are today are very professional. They have finance options. They'll help you mitigate risk with some risk management programs. If they wanted to finish an animal and really capture all the value, they just use the equity that's in that day old calf. And there's pretty simple, straightforward ways that they can own that animal all the way to harvest. And that's where they'll really capture the value. And it seems like there's so many options, whether you decide to retain ownership or not. Uh, we were just out in Colorado and we went to a dairy out there and we were with Tom Scheller, one of our EBS reps. And he goes, the owner of this dairy said that he's paying $12,000 more in semen each month, but then he's making $90,000 in revenue on top of that each month. You know, it's it's the profit margins are greater in the real world is is what I've seen and what I've heard. And so it's all a conversation that is up to the producer because they're effectively feeding and, and doing everything with these cattle beyond the genetics through these processes. You've played a key role in creating business partnerships that benefit everyone, whether it be the business we're partnering with um, or our producers. 
Can you tell me about value-added programs and how they've become a tool to make our dairy producers successful in the beef industry? Yeah, so first off, we've created what we call Beef and Focus Connect. So that's really what we're connecting the dots for the dairymen. We can connect them to the calf ranch, to the background, or to the feeder, to the packer, and even now we're talking to some retail spice. But then there's other partnerships that kind of help drive some of those values, like uh, the first one that we created a few years back and worked a partnership with IMI Global or or where food comes from. And they are a third party verification. So many people come back and say, you know, we love your in focus cattle, but when we buy them, how do we know what they are? How do we know they're in focus? And so we implemented a program with IMI Global where we genetically verify. It's a third party verification, pretty simple process. They sign up there. They go through a desk audit and it's been where they you know, actually buy their semen. And then if they're buy from us, uh, they can get verified as genetically verified as beef and focus. The beauty of IMI is if they want to get in some other added value programs, such as non-hormone treated, NHCC, natural, uh, China verified, Saudi Arabia, all that stuff is available to them. A genetic verification piece, including a EID and a panel tag. Is four bucks a head. And then if they want to add NHTC, they go through their non-hormone ad- audits, which is simple, inexpensive, which I recommend for most calf ranches to actually in dairymen to do the NHTC because it's it's a simple fix and it just gives you another marketing option when you sell them cattle. The non-hormone is getting to be more and more popular and, and uh, we're seeing more requests from packers to actually do that. So I think it's it's really a no-brainer to do that, but that's where the IMI people and the third-party verification comes in as well. Recently, we've entered into a, it's kind of an informal agreement, but uh, a working relationship with Diamond V Technologies, which it's more on the nutrition side. They have a lot of opportunity to mitigate uh, liver and, and gut health issues. Uh, that's liver issues and gut health seems to be one of the, the primary complaints from a packer. They have a lot of research and technology in, in the feed to, to mitigate that risk. Actually, one of our packer partners is is uh, going to require the use of Diamond V long terms. Another one we talk to a lot, and we're this is new, and and we're we're building on it. But uh, Four Star Veterinary Clinic, they work a lot with our sister company PIC, and where they, we have tech service, if you will, veterinary. If there's a problem, we can call Four Star and say, Hey, what's going on? And the, they, they're they very helpful to us and work with us. Um, some other things that we're looking at is uh, uh, risk mitigation. So back to your retained ownership, if if producers or investors or just feeders, this business is risky. And, and uh, but if we can show and give them tools how to mitigate or manage risk, uh, that's what we're doing. So I've talked to several different commodity people. I've challenged several people and on simpler deals because if we breed a cow today july 22nd we're going to you're not going to see a calf hit the feed yard until in 2023 so it's a long-term process and that you have a lot of risk out there when you start getting these significant numbers of calves so if we can show our customers how to mitigate that risk uh, i think it's beneficial for all of us then the last one we we talked to is a lot of uh uh, finance people, larger banks, uh, making sure that they're aware of all the stuff that we're doing in the genetic space, as well as our partnerships. And and that really helps uh, 
as these these especially these bigger feeders that use these big corporate banks is they they understand what we're doing this helps them through the whole process and just more information for them how important do you think and how seriously does abs take their partnerships within the cattle industry we're very serious with our partners and we're very careful we just don't go select somebody just because we we do a lot of uh, behind the scenes due diligence and making sure that they are the true partner. And, and it's all the way through. I mean, on Infocus Connect, if I connect a feed yard with a calf ranch, I want to make sure the calf ranch is going to get paid. Uh, if I can't connect a dairyman, same deal. We're very careful on, on that. Then you add these other, you know, uh, third parties such as IMI. They're, they're uh, the most uh, globally recognized in the world on, on, on verification and I think that's important to have that kind of cloud, if you will. Uh, but and Diamond V is a great company. We, we've done a lot of work and recent, we do our own research. We just don't take their stuff and think it's going to work. And uh, so that's very important to us. The question of the hour, the name of our segment, what is the Blue Beef in Focus tag? And how is it adding value to our Beef in Focus calves? What's the story behind it? Where has it been and where do you think it's going? Brand recognition is so important in this in this space. If we're going to be involved in this quality and this long-term beef with a story, you have to have some identity and brand recognition. We started in the blue tag. It gets talked about a lot. It's a blue and focus tag that goes back to that earlier piece where the feed yard wants to know where do they come from? How do I know? That blue tag hopefully gives you confidence, the buyer, of what that animal is and all the work behind it, all the genetic work, all the, when we get in these calf ranch stuff and the dairymen, we make sure that they have processes and, and all the tools to do everything right. Um, you know, and that, that'll even lead, long-term, that will lead to uh, animal welfare standards that, they, that our InFocus Connect people will have to meet. Uh, it ties to sustainability. They're in focus, blue tagged, that they have that sustainable message behind them. The bottom line is that brand recognition and the story behind that brand. It's it's awesome to see how other industry professionals have responded to that tag also. End-to-end, beef with value-added programs attached are more valuable. They're quality assured when they're going through the auction, when they're being sold. Beyond the programs, what's the actual carcass value of beef and focus fed cattle? Do you think that when they're hanging on a rack, they're competing with beef on beef animals? When you're looking at that carcass, what's the difference? Is there one? Yeah, so we've done all the taste sensory tests with some partnerships with the university, with Texas Tech University, and a grant that they'd received from NCBA. And there's no significant difference in taste, color. Tenderness, uh, it's all important. People think we don't measure tenderness. We do measure tenderness because it's so important. And it's one of them hidden gems, again, if you will, within the packing industry. Shelf life is so important. We think we have a, just a, a beautiful product that you, can, you get into the weeds with, you know, fat composition and fat taste. And, and uh, it's all part of that. And we just have seen no real significant differences in beef on beef. So it can lay in the counter just right along with beef regular beef on beef, um, where the, dairy, the straight dairy, the Holstein side of things, so no crossbreds, they can't put it in the same shelf. The consumer will take the beef and not the dairy because there is a color difference. And there's also different shapes in, in rib and loin. And we've, we've changed all that with the, with the crossbreeding in, in focus. 
so pretty pretty excited that we have a uh, a product that's number one it's a year-round supply because beef on beef is it's hard to get that year-round supply because on a consistent basis it, although outside of backgrounding moving your markets things like that but with this we have cows being born every day and that really adds to that story and, and that consistency so our long-term goal is is to have that cookie cutter approach you know we can look you know the jersey crosses the holstein crosses really basically be pretty much the same when we hang them on the rail. It's the work put in to make it the better product. If it tastes the same, the sustainability story and the story of the beef and focus calf, how it's benefiting everyone, producers, um, I mean, everyone within the industry, that's what's going to make or break that end product. And I think that you guys have just gone and, and pursued that like no other. So that that brings me to my last question. What is something you're looking forward to in the future of Beef in Focus? My uh, dream, if you will, but it's more, it's be starting to become a reality, is actually, you know, be a part of a retail branded product, if you will. I, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but that's where my head's at and where we're trying to to end up at is, is be a part of some, and we don't need a lot of recognition. We don't, we just want to be the offensive line that, that, uh, the quarterback of being me and the retailer can actually have that. And I, I think that's what's what's really cool. And we have some volume. It's still, you know, we've been challenged at one time to can we create two million carcasses in uh, a year? And probably three years ago we kind of kind of oh we can't do that. It's no way. But today looking forward, we, we think that that's actually achievable here. So that's what's exciting to me is we have this volume of cattle that's you know consistent, tastes good, cared for properly, uh, and the ultimate having that good eating experience for the consumer. I'm so happy that you came on the podcast to talk to me about Beef in Focus here at ABS. Uh, thank you for making the time. And we are going to head into our next segment. So thanks, Dan. Thank you. Welcome back. And now another exciting guest. We'll introduce Clay Fredericks, the Beef on Dairy Coordinator at United Producers, to learn about his take on the industry. Hey, Clay, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Where are you coming to us from? Actually at home in New York for a change. Oh, wow. Well, to start, I wanted to give our listeners the chance to hear your story and kind of understand the credibility that you have in the industry already. Uh, what's your background and how did you get to where you are? Yeah, so um, after I graduated from college, I spent a little bit of time traveling the Midwest, uh, got to really understand uh, wheat harvest crops. Uh, that's where I got first introduced to the beef industry. Uh, grew up on a small dairy farm in New York. Uh, so the dairy industry is where I got my start into the agricultural industry. Decided to move, move back home, get closer to the farm, get closer to family. Um, and I took a position with Alta Genetics, basically working with dairies in New York, New England, uh, primarily. Uh, the goal was to help reproductive problems on dairies, doing different sensitivity analysis uh, surrounding genetics. That's where beef on dairy towards the tail end of my time with Alta really started to kick up in the progressive area of Cayuga County, New York. Um, there was uh, so many different benefactors for these dairymen that they kind of got on the front end of that, took that opportunity and ran with it. 
So I kind of jumped on with it, thought that that was a place, a space that I wanted to live in. Um, and then after a short period of time, I switched over to ST Genetics, where I had the opportunity to manage the beef on dairy program there for just shy of two years. Basically, my focus was large herds that were trying to make their way into the beef on dairy space. Now, whether that would be retained ownership with cattle that they had or just breeding their lower end genetic animals to create a better heifer replacement population within their program. Pretty much anywhere in the United States is where I was at for the majority of the two years. Then I decided to make a switch over to United Producers. Um, I've just really seen where this beef on dairy uh, industry is going to go. Um, it, it's it's still within agriculture, but it's a new space that we're carving out um, in an industry that I think definitely needed a facelift, needed a new needed a new perspective. And I think that that's what we're gaining by crossing the dairy side of things into the beef organizations. So with that, uh, United Producers brought me on nine, 10 months ago now to uh, build and manage a beef on dairy program. Basically, our goal is to take the entire network from farmer, the dairy, all the way through to the kill floor. And we want to be able to aid and facilitate and assist in helping producers either retain ownership and understand how to feed these animals better, how to get these contracts on them, or assist in getting those calves moved off the farm and into a uh, an appropriate program for them to have the most success possible. And you mentioned a, a fresh perspective. Um, what do you think that fresh eye and fresh perspective that you're bringing to United can do to the industry? Do you think that the new popularity of genetically good and program type beef on dairy is that fresh perspective that the industry is shifting towards? Yeah, I think that, um, I guess there's two ways to answer that, actually. For myself, I, I'm the first person in, in United Producers to come more or less from the dairy side of the industry. That That is, I think, been helpful to some of our team members that are definitely more on, a, you know, farmer feeder, beef-driven side of, of this uh, industry. They haven't had the exposure to lar- large, large dairies and where they're at with technology and how they're handling everything that they do every day. That perspective, I think, has changed our team's approach a little bit. For the most part, that is part of that fresh perspective. But from evaluating um, you know, a, a certain set of genetics, we, we talk about good cattle, the way that they look, and from a visual eye perspective. Uh, you know, We're now taking it and looking at it from a, a different level that's allowing us to predetermine what we have. We talked about predictability and consistency, and that's what's going to give us that fresh perspective. Most in the industry know the quality patterns of a specific genetic set of cattle. Uh, Within ABS, we're continuing to try to create demand for these specific genes that do feed out well, and we, we create partnerships at every stage of the industry. How can we all continue to create that kind of demand for beef, whether it be in the genetic sector or outside of it, and with these beef and dairy calves to give our American producers the most profit? It, um, and I guess I'll take a little bit of a twist on this one. You know, we're at a unique spot, I think, in, in the beef industry in, its, in itself. Um, the public perception has really affected um, the industry in, in, its, in, in its entirety. Um, more of a specialty product is, is what's going to matter. They want higher quality. They want to know where everything is coming from. So you talk about data logging and you talk about uh, specific genetics where we are going to have a lower lower percent death loss, uh, less less treatments because we have a genetically superior animal and better health. However, uh, the growers themselves are are the biggest part in health as it is. 
Uh, with regulations increasing, though, we want to give ourselves the best opportunity to decrease the usage of, of treatments and, and having that death loss. Uh, public perception is going to keep driving that consistently all the way through. So those better sets of genetics that we are seeing, like the ABS in focus uh, cattle, are giving us that opportunity to get better within. What would you say impacts buying decisions for our cattle buyers? How much are corn prices influencing their desire to buy in the market? Well, basically, corn prices affected it in multiple ways. Uh, again, we'll go back to predictability and consistency. Even though at a high corn price, if I have a consistent, predictable product, I can still feed on a profit. I can feed on a margin line that's tighter because I know what I'm getting in that animal that I am spending that money on or the fact that I am putting 750 corn into that animal. Uh, you're seeing a lot of people put positions on corn further out and they're deferring and buying lighter weight feeder cattle and trying to get in that into their ownership program sooner rather than what they've done in the past. Uh, I think part of that is a big move in the last you know, six months, uh, definitely because driven by the corn price and, and what we've seen with soybeans. And for the first time, really in a really long time or if ever you know we've actually seen the deteriorating wheat crop has actually affected the corn <laughs> um, and not a lot of people see it from that perspective so that's played a played a major factor in it too but yeah where do you see so we talked about buying cattle where do you see the future of the auction industries going do you see a change in their functionality within short-term future or even long-term future? Short-term future, I think you'll see fairly status quo, but you know, auction markets are, are a big part of, of what United Producers are. However, I guess in my, in my personal opinion, I do see where we are going to see uh, the auction industry is going to definitely um, change its functionality. I don't think they're going to totally dissipate, uh, but they will change their functionality. And I think they're going to be geared towards more helping the uh, smaller farmer feeder um, obtain a better profit margin through contracts, through consistency, through programs that allow them to be a part of something bigger than than their you know 10 or 12 head that they have that they can bring into their program. They'll be able to partner alongside neighbors, partner alongside United Producers to offer a better opportunity um, and more consistent and definitely more predictable on their profit margin. Uh, that's what's going to help them survive. And I think that's where you'll see the, the shift of functionality with, within the auction industry. Uh, and I'm not saying tomorrow, I'm not even saying the next day. Um, it, it's a little ways down the line, but um, I think that that's where my perspective lies at this point. So I've noticed with United, you guys are consistently trying to assure the quality of the cattle, the industry. As we look at the construction of how a calf is made, we focus on their skeleton and how easy it's going to be for them to move. We focus on whether they're going to be able to eat less and gain more. And we look at their hardiness of health. Do you think genetics are the almost natural way to improve a calf's quality of life? And do you think quality starts with genetics that can do this? Uh, when you talk about programmed cattle, you talk about genetics. Every, every bit of that is wrapped into what you're asking here. Quality of life, you know, when you have a better genetic animal, instead of looking at it with the naked eye and saying, this is what we're looking for, we're looking for, you know, a locomotion on this animal. How are they walking? How do they handle? We look at the skeleton, right? Um, our predictability within what we see from a genetic population is something that like the dairy industry has been chasing for, for 20 years. It's a numbers driven game that we've, we've followed and, and made a great success at it. The, this crossbred crossbreeding program is really going to, I think, propel 
itself deep into the into the beef industry where people will be driven harder on on genetics you know 95 percent of the dairy industry is is ai at this point right and and driving on on that side of genetics in the beef industry we're not there yet we're still a lot of natural service a majority i think it's uh 92 if i'm not mistaken and and i think you're going to see a shift in that when we start talking about what we're trying to feed it, it, you're going to see less of that um let's evaluate them on the ground and let's evaluate what a bull looks like standing there. And it will be driven numbers game. Just, just from the uh, simplistic side, we know too much about these animals now to let us get that far down the line before we make a decision. And uh, you've obviously had an extensive career already in the beef industry and the dairy industry. What's one thing that you're almost proud to say you've seen within the beef dairy sector? Really, I'm 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 proud to see where the where the dairy industry has come on this side of things. Um, it, when you have a new program or a new idea, uh, you know you you hear the words "it's a fad," "it's a niche," "it's not going to stick," "we're going to flood the market." You hear all of these coined phrases, it, and it was worrisome at the beginning that uh, dairymen were were going to take that stance of "I'm not going to I'm not going to change," "I'm not going to accept it that it's happening." Pretty much, you know, nationwide at this point, uh, worldwide in in that in that fact, um, have accepted uh, beef on dairy is a real thing. Not only does it create a monetary value in the calf, but you know, you're talking about creating a better heifer population. You go back to genetics, right? People are seeing decreased drug costs. People are seeing the cash flow from the monetary value of the calves. They have a better population. You know, reproduction is improving because we're we're basically weed, weeding out the lower end animals all the time. There's too many benefits to the dairy to, to ever go back away from this. I, I'm just proud to say that the dairy industry accepted this and they accepted it quickly. This could have taken a lot longer to get to where we are. Um, it, it's nice to know that the the generation that is handling the industry is is willing to accept some change and, and see where it can take them. And everyone within this trade obviously has a respect and appreciation for the American cattle industry and our American cattle producers. I guess I'm asking, how has United Producers continued to try to support the industry? So first and foremost, uh, United Producers being a cooperative, um, we, we take a pretty strong stance on that we are not owning cattle at this, at this point because we do not want to compete with our customers. We want to offer every opportunity that we can to give them the best chance for success. Uh, we don't want to be a competitor. So we've gone above and beyond and created outside programs. We've created opportunity for any producer in our organization and, and, and outside, regardless of size, the opportunity to participate in something that will get them to the next level, something that'll put them on the map, get them recognized by a uh, greater opportunity for success. Um, that's pretty much how United Producers has handled it from from the dairy beef, the beef on dairy, and the native cattle side of our industry in, in all aspects. Uh, same thing with changing of the functionality of of the auction houses. You know, we've 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 exploded on the scene with online auctions. We've taken the opportunity to change some of the functionality of some of our facilities to help accommodate the needs of different producers to try to add value all the while. Um, that's pretty much, I guess, where, where UPI stance is at this point. Yeah, that's awesome, especially as we move into a more virtual world after the last year. We've mentioned that Beef on Dairy is building profit opportunity for dairy producers. Do you think retained ownership takes it a step further and, and offers even more profit? 
Um, absolutely. Any anytime, any opportunity to own an animal for a longer period of time offers the opportunity for a, a greater outcome. That's just the facts of of the cattle industry. Dairies that are taking the opportunity to retain this ownership and go to a a all the way to the kill floor or a lot of guys at this point are, are diving into just the feeder world at this point getting them to a a marketable feeder weight that has the gives them the opportunity to market to basically anyone that's that's feeding cattle in the united states and canada um that opportunity for them is pretty awesome actually it is a model i think that you'll see that'll start further out west and it'll take a while to gravitate to the east um generally speaking on anything that happens that way that's about how it goes the wave comes um i'm fortunate enough to see where the wave starts and where it ends with how wide of an area that i am covering at this point Retained ownership has has begun. It started about a year and a half ago, we'll say, is when it really started to kick up. And in the last six months, the amount of uh, meetings and phone calls that we've fielded from customers that are looking at retained ownership is has grown at least 50%. So pretty excited to see where, where that's going to add value. Um, back to the dairies, it's going to give an opportunity for um, dairies to expand their operations without having to build a barn and milk more cows. It's, it's giving them the opportunity to diversify their business a little bit, staying within agriculture and staying within what they know best, and that's raising a high-quality animal. Do you see a difference between beef and focus calves and other dairy beef calves? Personally, I've we've we've had uh, access to to both populations in focus cattle, and uh, I guess uh, just. Other, we'll call them other, I guess, uh, dairy beef crosses. There definitely has been a, a difference in growth factor, health. Uh, I think the vigor of those animals are just a little bit higher. Um, they, they, they thrive a little bit more. The industry has, has widely accepted, you know, the, the in-focus program and accepted what those cattle are, knowing that they are going to out, outperform um, a generic set of calves. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point. I think that there's a lot of consistency, like you've been saying. When I was just out in Colorado with my coworker, Jared, beef and focus calves were selling higher than even the beef on beef calves. They were some of the highest, if not the highest sellers of the day. Now, that doesn't speak for everything in the industry. So I'm curious to ask if the demand is high for beef and focus cattle, in your experience, where else you've seen it outside of Colorado, outside of that singular Auction. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing it everywhere. You look at it, these in-focus calves are, you know, like you said, will run consistent with natives or they may even go at a higher price. But the, the difference between, you know, a set of um, in-focus cattle is that when they're assembled, they're assembled at day old. Um, we know the program. We know what their vaccination protocol was. They were raised together uh, they were all all put through the same program, whereas, um, you know, assembling different groups of native cattle or other generic uh, crossbreds, that is, uh, you see a lack of consistency there because they were they were assembled from several different locations where I think people are willing to, again, put put money out there and take the risk on something that's that's consistent and predictable. That's that's why you're seeing that drive. They know what they're getting in a product genetically, um, and they really like to know that they all came from one location assembled at, at day old. I, I think that that's going to be the most impactful thing um, because then they can trace back 
where those cams came from. You talk about traceability. You talk about uh, how we're sharing information between growers, backgrounders, feeders. Ever everybody is sharing information at this point uh, to make sure that we do have that clear cut, consistent product. And, and you know, ABS has done a phenomenal job of making sure that they have as much research as they do to help alongside of that. And I do, I do believe that's why you're seeing them propel to the top of those those sales. Thanks so much, Clay, for coming on Raising the Stakes and sharing a fresh outside opinion. I'm so happy we could get through those initial tech hiccups. Believe it or not, guys, I am average at technology. But next on Raising the Stakes, we'll talk dairy cattle and what the future of the industry might look like with Wisconsin's own Mitch Amundsen. And from Ohio, we'll hear from Tim Timmons. To my listeners, let's keep this momentum going. If you enjoyed the show, share it with someone you know. Use it as an educational tool or debate it with a friend. We're here to communicate about cattle genetics and advocate for the industry. So feel free to share the link in a text saying, hey, I think you'd like this episode. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.